Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and war room or not, there will always be fighting here. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I hope you can recognise my voice by now. <laughs> it was one of those things where I heard a character say something like that in the film, and I was like, ah, there's my intro. <laughs> yeah. And today we're breaking down the Stanley Kubrick classic film, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Wearing a Love the Bomb. Yes, we are. What a stupid title for a film. Memorable, though. I mean, not really. I couldn't have told you the little end bits. Yeah, but you don't follow film like most general people do. You're right. I'm not much of a film watcher. This is true. Sorry, Dr. Strangelove. I'm just going to be calling it Dr. Strangelove from now on. What? What? Hold on. Why are you Why are you avoiding this great memorable title? I will I will call it the full title if you can say it once. Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Very good. All right, I'll do it from now on then. I mean, you can't defend the title and then not use the title. I was only going to do it if you were to back me up, and you have. So, yeah, I'll continue with it. I'm not backing you up. I'm the opposite of backing you up. No, you did it. You said it. You knew it. So, you're on my side now. You knew what it said. Only because you just said it to me. So, are you implying if I hadn't said it at all, you would have no idea what this movie was called? Didn't you just watch it like yesterday? Yes. It's not like they say that throughout the film repeatedly. Like, can we just say, why the hell is this film even called Dr. Strangelove? Because of the character of Dr. Strangelove. What a stupid title of a film. Well, maybe you could call it that, or you could call it How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It's one or the other. You can choose. I mean, it's Dr. Strangelove. I'm just saying. It's a shit title. Released in 1964, directed, produced, and co-written by Stanley Kubrick about an insane general who triggers a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically try to stop. Starring Peter Sellers in multiple roles here, George C. Scott, Sterling Hayden, and Slim Pickens. And James L. Jones, who recently celebrated his 90th birthday, Hendo. I did see that. What a what an unusual coincidence that we're watching him on his very first film. Yeah, first film. That's uh yeah, apparently uh Kubrick, I think it was Kubrick, saw him and the C Scott guy in a play. George C. Scott. George C. Scott, yeah. Well, Kubrick saw Scott and he liked what he saw. Very good. All right, cinematography here by Gilbert Taylor, who's done uh, a pretty big film for his cinematography, uh, Star Wars, A New Hope. Star Wars? Oh, interesting. Star Wars, oh. (laughs) Did he go on to the sequels or was he not good enough for that? No, I think he just did the first one. Oh, ouch. Or the fourth one. There's no no money in A New Hope. All right, Dean, I've done something a little different this time, which I hope to continue from now on. I've uh, gone with 10 pieces of trivia here. Not in any particular order, but just 10 interesting pieces of trivia that I found. I kind of feel like this is more work for you, because now you've got to pick the 10 best. Well, I'll give you a little spoiler alert here. Uh, 9 and 10 is the budget and box office and Academy Awards nominations. (laughs) So it's really 8. Shouldn't that be 8, 9 and 10? No, the box office and the budget is one thing. Okay, fair enough. All right, number one, Peter Sellers was paid $1 million, which was 55% of the film's budget. Oh, is this the budget trivia? No. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you could kind of work out what the budget is now. I mean, I feel like you're sort of spoiling your later trivia, Hendo. (laughs) How would you not make this like the number eight that leads in, a good segue into number nine? Did you put any effort into this? None at all. I just saw it and said, this is going to the top. Kubrick famously said, I've got three for the price of six. Because of the three characters and the six figures. Bingo. Wait, a million seven. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Oh, that's, I sort of paused. I was like, wait, does that work? <laughs> Kubrick, what are you talking about? Ah, what a famous Kubrick line. <laughs> All right, number two, the film led to actual changes in policies to ensure that the events depicted could never really occur in real life. Ah, that sounds like such bullshit, such PR that some producer of Dr. Strangelove came out and said, like, you won't believe what this film did to the US Air Force. Changed the way they did everything forever. We are that powerful. All right, number three, the war room contains a large table of food because Stanley Kubrick intended to end the film with a custard pie fight between the Russians and the Americans. He decided not to use the footage because he found it too farcical to fit with the satirical nature of the rest of the film. The only known public showing of this pie fight scene was in 1999 after he died. I mean, isn't that a bit of a slap in the 
the pie face of Kubrick there. Like, wait until after he's dead, raid his, you know, private collection, and then air it. Yeah, like a celebration of Kubrick's life. Let's celebrate what he did by showing the stuff he didn't want you to see. Yeah. I mean, it does sound stupid, even for this film. Ooh, getting your jabs in early, are you? <laughs> I mean, it's a comedy. It's a silly film. And you think that a pie fight finishing it off would be too silly for this silly film? Yes. And where did the pies come from? On the food table. I wonder if they were meat pies. No one ever has meat pie fights. Well, I wonder why. Stink. It'd be gross. All right, number four. The first test screening was scheduled for November 22nd in 1963, the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And the producers felt that the public would not be in a mood for a black comedy so soon after such a traumatic event. So the premiere was moved back to late January 1964. Interesting. I wonder, did that affect the year that Strangelove... Uh, was eligible for Oscars. Yeah, it was nominated at the 1965 Oscars. So, yes, you are correct. It did change what year the Oscars were uh, eligible for this film. Oh, pop quiz, asshole! What won Best Picture of 1964? A Man for All Seasons. Is that a guess, or do I need to look this up? <laughs> that, was, that was a guess. It was probably, uh, that was probably either 63 or 60. Uh, it was either 64 or 66, probably. Oh, no, it was a West Side Story. No, West Side Story was 61. Uh, then it was Lawrence of Radio, Tom Jones, 63. My Fair Lady, 64. And The Sound of Music was 65. Man for All Seasons was 66. You said My Fair Lady was uh, not one in 1964. Doctor Strange, I've lost to My Fair Lady. Interesting. <laughs> it seems Do I need to look at this? We are in a bit of a pickle Maybe My Fair Lady came out in 64 So it won the 1965 Academy Award Is that how it works? That's I, th- I think that's the case But if, if Yeah So so Is that what it's saying? Yeah So, so My, Fair, My Lady Fair Lady would have won Yeah, Came out in 1964 Would have won the 95 Academy Awards well, the 95 one is that good. So the one before it was Tom Jones. So it was. It would have been up against Tom Jones. Hmm. I wonder if it would have won that year if that was the case. Who knows? Definitely not regarded as a great movie. No. All right, number five here. This film was selected for the National Film Registry in 1989, the first year of inductions for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. First round of inductions for the National Film Registry there. I wonder how many first rounders there were. You know, because without context, it's hard to know if that's actually important. I, I'm pretty sure I said first round on the second time I said it, but the first time I said it was first year. The first year of inductions this was in. Okay. All right, number six here. Among the titles that Stanley Kubrick considered for the film were Dr. Doomsday or How to Start World War Three Without Even Trying. Both better titles than Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. What about Dr. Strangelove's Secret Uses of Uranus? I mean, that is worse. (laughs) Significantly. Yes. And the last one he had here was A Wonderful Bomb. It's better. But you like the Dr. Doomsday one? Honestly, Dr. Strangelove probably is is the best title. I don't understand why it's called that, but it's definitely a more catchy and original title. Fair enough. All right, number seven here. Stanley Kubrick intended to film in the United States. However, filming was moved to England's Shepherd and Studios because Peter Sellers had to stay in England due to his pending divorce. Which is no laughing matter, Hendo. No, I'm glad he had a good sense of humour while he was filming. Because when he leaves the studio, it's all dead serious from there. Number eight. This is the favourite film of film critic Gene Siskel. Ah, Siskel. As in Siskel and Ebert. That is true. What do you reckon? His favourite film, hey? I mean, I'm p- trying to picture them and all I can picture is the um, magicians, the real big guy and the little guy who doesn't talk. Penn and Teller? Yeah, that's what I picture as uh, <laughs> you Siskel think and Siskel Ebert. Siskel and Ebert and you're thinking of Penn and Teller. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, number nine, budget. What do you think the budget is, Dean? I'm going to go just over $2 million. You, that would make sense based off the fact that I said 55% was one, one $1 million. But no, I've got 1.8 estimated here. So IMDb need to learn need to um, sync their trivia together. You need to learn to sync your trivia together, Hendo. You need to learn to do some trivia. Hey, I read all this. I know what you're saying. I just I would not have presented those two pieces of trivia in the same 10 because they contradict each other. What's the gross? I don't know. I didn't read the gross. Oh, <laughs> If you read the trivia, you would have said 1.8 instead of 2 point something, whatever you said. I read some of the trivia. Maybe the first 10. Stop lying. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, 1.8 estimated budget here and worldwide gross $9.4 million. Wow. Is that bad? I mean, by today's standards. 
by the budget it had, it made nearly five times the amount of money. Pretty sure that's a big success. I mean, if I made a film for a dollar and I made five dollars, is that a huge success? Yes, it's profit. It's 500% profit. I wouldn't call that a success, Hendo. It's all relative. I would definitely call it. You, you look at the amount you put in and the amount you got out, look at that return on investment. That's massive. Massive. <laughs> all right, number 10, the Academy Award nominations this film received. Nominated for four awards, won none. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, which it lost to Beckett. It lost Best Director to George Cooker for My Fair Lady. Peter Sellers was nominated for Best Actor, which he lost to Rex Harrison for My Fair Lady. And like we said before, this was nominated for Best Picture, and it lost to My Fair Lady. Have you seen My Fair Lady? No, I have not. I have not either. Ah. Something to consider when you finally win a, uh, a, a draft or something? Didn't I win the first one? Quit living in the past. That's what I thought. All right, scores, Dean. What do you reckon? Critics or audience? Who knows? Critics... Critics have it at 98%, well, that's and the ridiculous. audience have it at 94%. What the fuck? Can I vote on this thing? Can I be part of that audience? You certainly can be part of the audience. I need to drop that rating down. <laughs> <laughs> what about Metacritic, though? Yeah, come on, Metacritic. Do me proud. 97. Oh, for fuck's sake. Letterboxd, 4.3. But let's take a look at the history of Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yes, let's. Now, we said last week, Dean, with Citizen Kane, that debuted on the very first list at number 10. This debuted also on the very first list on the 26th of April, 1996, at number 11. I mean, did we watch the same movie here? Did I watch the wrong film? Well, you've already spoken about how it said, How I Learned to Stop Worrying I Love the Bomb on the on the movie, so I think you've got the right movie here. 11 of all time. Highest it ever got to was a year later. It went to number 9. And then since then, it has just gradually declined for the last 24 years to where it currently sits now at number 70, with an 8.3 over 449,000 ratings. Okay. Seems a bit high. Just a touch high. Well, you say it's a tad high. I'm super curious to see how high you would actually rate it yourself, Dean. Why don't we get into it? Got to start off here with a little quick disclaimer, basically to cover their own asses here. What a load of shit. Come on. (laughs) There's no way. Like, I, I mean, for this to have happened, they would have had to have shown the very first cuts of this film to the US Air Force and have them come out with a response. Why would they do that? The US Air Force did not help them make this film. There's no way Kubrick is showing his little baby artwork here to the US military for their approval. What a load of shit. I mean, I didn't see it in the trivia, so I'm guessing it's uh, fake. Yeah, fake news, Hendo. It exists. Honestly, I went into this expecting a comedy because it is you know, listed as a comedy on IMDb. I was waiting for the punchline here. Like, imagine if you were watching Monty Python and some text started popping up. There would be some joke that wraps it up at the end. I was like, oh, no, that's they're legit just doing that now. Okay. All right. That's interesting. I wouldn't have gone that way. Is it that point that you realized it was a dry comedy? Listen, I like my comedies dry. As dry as anyone does, Hendo. But this was not funny. This was not a good tone setter. All right. Well, I'm curious to see if any of the dry humour landed throughout this film. Stop being so curious tonight, Endo. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious with you with this film. So we get a big, long opening credit scene here, essentially with a plane being refueled. Yeah, I, I've since learned that it was meant to uh, represent some strong sexual images. Yes, and uh, this wouldn't be the only uh, image in this film to signify that, along with my research that I've done as well. I mean, this went way over my head. Oh, yeah, me too. I, I didn't notice this at all. I'm like, what is what is happening here? What is this plane about to do? Is this going to go fly off somewhere else now? And then it finished. I'm like, what? Yep. As someone who is halfway decent at picking up on uh, double entendres, I, I just don't see it. Did you find? Did you pick up on any of the like the sexual inadequacy stuff that was going on throughout this film? I mean, how about you mention them as we get through them, and I'll tell you if I picked up on them. I don't think you picked up on any then. We shall see. Yeah, but this intro is terrible. Like, it made me want to watch Citizen Kane's intro again, if you know what I mean. (laughs) You know, bring me back just that one-hit title card, Citizen Kane, boom, let's start the movie. Nah, nah, we've got to have five minutes in this very short film of a plane flying around. Yeah, well, you got to get your credits out, all right? This is one of those films that did all the credits right at the start. All right, so we've got the first of uh, Peter Sellers' characters here, uh, Mandrake. Mandrake. The mustache. Yeah, the mustache. Yep. yep. Yes. Have you seen Peter Sellers in anything else? I know he's uh, Pink Panther. That's not what I asked, Hendo. Mm, no, I think... Oh, no, If I'd have to go through his filmography to have a, 
have a, an idea, but not off the top of my head. It would only be this. Yeah, I th- I think it is only this. I, I haven't seen him in anything else, but I know the name really well. Okay, now I'm curious. Ooh, have you seen the original Casino Royale? No, I haven't, and I was teetering back and forth on that's where I knew him from, but I ke- I feel like Woody Allen was also in that, and that got me a bit confused. But yeah, he's yeah, I have not seen the original Casino Royale. Oh, sorry, I, I thought you were a Bond fan. Never mind. Have you seen Lolita? Have not. Yeah, me neither. I've actually got it on Blu-ray. Uh, I've never watched it. It's one of the few Kubrick films I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Not in the top 250. No. Yeah, but we also have General Ripper here. Did you get his full name? Jack the Ripper. Ah, look at that. I did get his name. That's a good name. Memorable. He's uh, he's definitely the instigator here. He's the one who uh, basically sets out to kill everyone. He does. And uh, so you've seen this before, yes? Many, many years ago. I'm did talking you remember like- anything from it? Nah, I just remember those key quotes, the the ending, like the, the writing, the nuke, a uh, couple of strange love quotes, nothing really about the rest of the movie. Did you know this guy was a bad guy? Nah. Yeah. I think I think we have the same level of memory of this film. I had seen it before. Yeah. Uh, but again, I remember very, very little. Yeah. I, I, it has to be at least 15, 20 years ago now I, I, when I saw this film. Yeah. So he's basically telling Mandrake they need to get set for wing attack plan R. Mandrake says, Mandrake's on board because, you know, this is his superior and, okay, we'll, uh, we'll get onto it. Right there. Won't we chap? Yes, yes, we will. Won't we chap? I'm sorry. Was, was that a joke? Is that a joke from the movie? No, that's just his accent, his British accent seeping ah, through here. Ah, okay. Which is good considering his three different characters all have different nationalities and accents. Yeah, no, he's, he's okay in this, Peter Sellers. No, he goes all right. All right, so we get our first, you know, basically shot here or scene involving the plane, the, the key plane here that's going to, you know, result in the, uh, the the destruction at the end. Yeah, I did like this, This, you know, uh, the, we cut to him and he's reading this magazine and then the camera pans down and the magazine's Playboy. Yeah, got a little, I got a little chuckle out of that. I, I may have cracked a smile at this point. Kind of reminded me of a, of a gag from like Airplane. Yeah. You haven't seen Airplane, have you? Yeah, no, nah, I haven't. But it also like reminded a na- like me. A naked, naked, like a Naked Gun kind of uh, joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Naked <laughs> no Gun, idea. I think. <laughs> You're terrible. You're so terrible. <laughs> but nah, on, on that same level, Endo, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, they're all they're all very surprised and curious about this plan. Plan R. I must admit, I did. I, I had a I little laughed. chuckle here. I laughed. Yeah. I did not have a chuckle. I laughed when <laughs> they're talking on the radio to each other, and you get the impression they're on like different levels of the plane. Like yeah. I don't know how big this plane is, and they're literally about two or three meters away. He's like, "All right, I'm, I'm going to have a look at it." Like over, and then he walks down. He's like right in the same shot as the other guy. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That was good. Uh, this song. Oh, I knew you were going to say the song. That's exactly what I was about to say. Is this song the? I mean, I don't know the like ants go marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. Is mm-hmm. that from this? Like, do I did have other sort like media sources used it from this film? There is another movie that I know this from, and I don't know if you would know it too, but I definitely think you would know it from that film rather than this. What? It'd be Die Hard with a Vengeance. No, I don't know this song from that. I know this song really well, though. Okay. If I could refresh your scene memory from Die Hard with a Vengeance, it would be, it would be playing when they're fully taking over Fort Knox and, the, and the, the crazy woman goes down and like with the big blade like slashes up the, the guard while they're, while they're breaking into Fort Knox. Not Fort Knox, the bloody the, the gold mine, the gold mine. Did you really just say if I can refresh your scene memory? Yeah, I mean it's is pretty it... hard for me to refresh your memory on anything. Is that something you've ever said before? No, that's very casual. I've just made up <laughs> this scene memory. I will <laughs> refresh your scene memory by giving you audio cues. I like it, Hendo. That's a bold strategy. <laughs> Failed miserably with you. All right, so we have General Turgidson, his secretary, I believe, using the, having a conversation here between the two of them. Miss Scott. That's it. Apparently, she's the model in Playboy as well. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Was that you just picking up on that, or did you find some trivia on that? I mean, I just picked up on it. On your on your daily browse to playboy.com? <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't uh, you know, pick that up on your own keen eye. I did not. Uh, advantage Dean, me thinks. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little laugh when she she's talking to the other general on the phone and starts talking to him like on a personal level, like calls him Fred, like she knows him on that extra level too. Like I got that feeling that she's uh, been involved with him as well. I mean, that's more than implied, isn't it? Like they have a sexual relationship. 
he climbs onto the bed with her. It, it, this one was much more uh, sexual than I thought it was like than I ever thought it was going to be. And it, it's a very it's it's some points it's not so subtle and some points it's very subtle. Please tell me you don't class this bit with this la lady in lingerie on a bed as subtle. <laughs> this is not subtle. <laughs> Did you pick up on the sexual innuendos innuendos there, Dean? Uh Yes, Hendo. Yes, I did. Did you pick up on the uh, the very long straight cigar pointing up in, in uh, Ripper's mouth later on as a symbol of asserting your dominance? What? Yeah. Didn't That's... read up on that one, did you? Oh, read up on it. I'm glad that you admit you read up on it and did not pick up on, oh, he's, he's smoking <laughs> a cigar a certain way to, you know, demonstrate virility. I picked up on the camera angle that they were showing him at, which we'll get to in a little bit, but uh, that's one of the many uh, subtle, not so subtle uh, lines of sexualness in this film. Was there a joke here whereby she's repeating very long uh, dialogue back to Fred that would not take that would take a lot longer for her to hear? Ah, uh, if there was, I didn't pick up on that. Because that's what I thought this joke was. I thought, you know, there's like, there'd be a five second pause and then she'd spend 15 seconds relaying the information. It happens repeatedly. Oh, okay. Did it make you laugh or did it make you curious? <laughs> it made it noteworthy at least. I mean, I'm not sure I made a note of it, but yeah, it was it was interesting. It was more, I probably would call it a failed attempted humour, if anything. Ah, uh, Okay. Yeah. And how I'm much sh- uh, failed attempts of humour did this film have for you? I mean, we're probably already at about 23. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, though, you've already said that you've laughed out loud in this film. Where I've only had the mere chuckle. I laughed. I must admit, maybe I was so, you know, bereft of humour for this a, point Craving for a joke. That any, any little ounce of humour I just latched onto, like a, a, you know, a thirsty man in the desert. Any drop is gold to him. That, that, that humour was just so dry. It was so dry, you just need a sweet sip of something. <laughs> so we're not really supposed... We, we're not supposed to know at this point that General Ripper is uh, the reason why all this is happening, are we? It's this. I feel like the first, at least third of this film, is very... What's happening? Yeah, what's... Yeah, exactly. What's really happening here? It's a bit slow. I'm not 100% sure as to where this is going. I'm kind of waiting for Dr. Strangelove, in all honesty. Really? Is he your favourite character here? No, but it's called Dr. Strangelove. I'm like, where is this guy? I didn't even realise it was a person. Oh, really? I knew that was a guy. I was like, where's he? Where's the president? Where's it? Where's all this going? I mean, I knew there was a war room, but I didn't realise Dr. Strangelove is actually a character here. But I mean, What a this, character. I mean, at this point, you've got... I mean, we, we, we did brush over, but at the start, uh, Jack the Ripper tells Mandrake to collect all private radios. I didn't realise he meant in the base. I thought he meant, like, nationally. And I was like... That is a ridiculous job to give someone. <laughs> How are you meant to collect everybody's radio? <laughs> is that really what you thought? Come I really on. did. I made a note. I was like, that's just stupid. <laughs> what an outrageous request. <laughs> but we get him over the loudspeaker here, sort of you know, inspiring the troops a bit, saying that if anyone tries to get in the base, attack them. Now, really, because we know they're going to be Americans trying to get in, we probably should have twigged a little here. He's telling American soldiers to open fire on Americans. Maybe he's not a good guy. No, he's telling them that the Russians have done a quick sneak attack, and that's why we haven't, like... That's why to get rid of all the radios so that there's a complete silence. And and it's obviously that's the throwaway so that no one can hear what's actually happening in the outside world, which is oh, everything's that's fine. Right, that's right. So he, he's telling them that the Russians are going to come. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And anyone yeah, who comes okay. in, just shoot them. Yeah. The yep. whole rest of the world's been compromised. So we've got this bomber plane going through their, their routine, essentially. We've got, uh, I think it's uh, Kong, I think is the guy's name, just going through how they're going to proceed on the way to Russia to bomb this place now. You've got lots of quick zooms on all these buttons as they're hitting them. Did you pick up on this? Did you make anything of this? I mean, honestly, I would just add it to my tally of unfunny jokes. Is it a joke? I think it is. It's like, oh, how funny is this? How many buttons they have to push for this to happen? I think that's a joke. Mm, all right. If it's a joke, it's not funny. I mean, if it's not a joke, what the hell is it? It would have... It would have worked if they zoomed in on something that wasn't a button or something like comical. No, nah, that's too wet for this film, Hendo. We need dry humour. <laughs> You're getting a, too moist over, over there. there. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> exist here. 
No, but Mandrake comes in to speak to Ripper about what's going on. He's realized with his little personal radio that everything's good. Everything's fine out. Everything's fine outside. But uh, Ripper is not having any of it. Nah, Mandrake thinks he's got enough evidence here to say, right, well, surely we can draw back the nuclear attack. Uh, if they, if we were under attack, they wouldn't be playing nice music on the radio. But Ripper, he locks the doors. He knows what's coming here. When did you realize that Ripper was behind this whole thing? Was it now? Yes. Was it? Yes. Oh, did you not now? I still thought that it was him just trying to stop Mandrake because he firmly believed that, you know, everything needed to happen now. Not not that, not that because he did it all. Nah, because I think, I think Mandrake is like our, you know, protagonist. He's our good guy. And this general is an angry, demanding man. I, I nah, I, I thought when he locked him inside and pulled the gun out, I thought, nah, he's, he's, a, he's not good. He's done the wrong thing here. Now, this was the shot I was talking about, Dean, with this very stiff, erect uh, cigar in his mouth. I really hope you did read this up after the fact, because I'd be concerned if you did. just watched this guy casually smoking a cigar and you're like, ooh, look how stiff and erect that cigar is there. <laughs> no, because it definitely plays into him later on because he's so bloody delusional about this whole the, the bodily fluid system and the water, the water fluidation that the Russians are apparently taking over. And that's the reason why he couldn't basically perform sexually to his partner and he believes that the Russians have taken over his body. This is him showing his uh his final like not his final dominance. Well it could be his final dominance here. Like he by him doing this, this is him getting it up, basically. The camera shot's good though, looking up at him as the smoke's crowding around him. Like they're looking like he's in in complete charge here now. Like the camera angle when you're looking up at someone sums that up perfectly. But let's get to the war room, Dean. I know you've been waiting for the war room. Oh so much. So so much. Now, was this supposed to be a joke here where you cut back and forth from Turgidson and President Muffley going back and forth talking to each other and then it cuts to the wide shot and it's such a massive room that it's just so echoey as they're talking, like they're yelling and screaming to each other from like like the other side of the table. I think what's important here is not that is this an attempt of humour. It's the fact that we keep having to ask each other, hey, do you reckon they meant to be funny here? That's not a good sign, Hendo. Yeah, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. Nice. Sorry, I, I don't know how to respond there. <laughs> I'm so I'm so not used to it. <laughs> I mean, so far there's been yeah, a couple of light chuckles, a little bit of humour, but yeah, a lot of this stuff I'm I'm finding myself asking like, but is this is this part of the humour or is this just what they're doing? Okay, one thing I did find amusing was when they <laughs> when they said, firstly, the operation's called Operation Dropkick, which I think is funny. <laughs> And then they're showing all these dots on the on the map. And they're like, right, the triangles are our primary targets and our squares are the secondary targets. But all the dots are just like, just it's like a constellation up there. It's just randomly yeah. thrown dots everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, you could draw triangles and squares between any of these dots. <laughs> okay, just to be clear, I laughed more just then describing it than I did when I actually watched it. When I, was I actually say, watched I it, I was, I was probably like... <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't see you just like in fits on the chair like, Brent, look at this, this is hilarious. <laughs> look at these dots. <laughs> I actually don't mind this conversation here. I think this actually sets up a lot with what has happened with, with Ripper as well and how he managed to do what he did. I I think this, for the first, uh, I guess this is the first half an hour of the film, this really summed it up pretty well. Yeah, they definitely explained the plot to us. Uh, it's just a shame they didn't explain any of the jokes to us. <laughs> Are you are you gauging this entire film based off the dryness of the humour? No, I'm not. Good, 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 good. I'm basing it off how many times I had to slap myself <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, nah, uh, in fairness, I actually had no issues with uh, falling asleep in this film. That's good. That's I mean, a good sign from you. Yeah, it is. It is. That's that's an automatic two stars. Uh, we'll see. Oh, we'll see. What do you think of uh, Turgidson having a conversation with his secretary on the phone during mid-war room discussion? Eh, whatever. Did you did you enjoy it? It was okay. Yeah, it wasn't great. But no, he's really pushing to get this big attack going now that they've basically decided that they can't call these planes back. They need to just keep pushing forward and just like just go all in on this attack. Yeah, and the American, what's his name? Turgidson? Yeah, Turgidson. George C. A, Scott. Yeah, George, uh, is there a better better name we can call him? General T. Okay, we'll call him the general. Because uh, the general here, here says... Here comes the general. Wow. Yeah. A Hendo That's, that's your thing. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad at all. Wow, you took me off guard there. Uh, but no, he's saying basically if we 
try and recall these planes, they are going to attack us regardless. We'll lose 150 million. Whereas if we just go all in here, we could just lose maybe 10 to 20 million. Yeah. Acceptable losses. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, President Muffley, I'm I'm just going to call him the president. Yeah. He's pretty... He's pretty uh, uh, on point here, he's like, I'm not going to be known for you know, being one of the world's most fourth person in um doing genocide. Yeah, yeah. But there's a there's a good line here because uh, the president's saying they're going to bring in the Russian ambassador Kisov, uh, and the general's saying, I I don't know exactly how to put this, sir, but are you aware of what a serious breach of security that would be? I mean, you see everything. You 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 see the big board. <laughs> All the little lights, yeah. which, which is ridiculous, and this all, and this, and it's still this whole thing in this film about just constant battle. Like, even though they're about to blow each other up, like it's going to be nothing in the end. They're always fighting about trying to get the upper hand, especially at the end when you just see how far, uh, the how far to the extreme they take it. Yeah, and it's obviously here when they are arguing with Kiss Off, we get the the pretty famous line: "Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room." Which is pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, it's I think pre- it's, it's, a, it's funny. a funny line. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I think it has a lot to do with the with Peter Sellers' delivery of the of the line as well. Yeah, because he's playing it so straight. Apparently, yeah. originally he actually performed a lot of his lines as uh, I think he had like really bad allergies, and he was like the butt of a lot of jokes. But Kubrick made him redo it all because he felt it was better to have a straight man in the in the in the war room. Yeah, and that and that makes sense as well for Peter Sellers overall portraying these three different characters. You got, you know, the straight man president here. Mandrake's a bit, uh, he's a bit of a straight man too, but he's, no, he, he does it he with is a bit a more straight of a man. flair. The only thing yeah. that's not straight about him is his mustache. Very good. And Strange Love is just a whack job. Is that a technical term? Yes, it is. Did you laugh more at your own joke than you did <laughs> in this whole film? I mean, do you even know what I was referencing? <laughs> is there something to do with the sexual inadequacies going on in this film? <laughs> No, it's it's from Batman Forever. <laughs> oh. Yeah, okay. I didn't mind the conversations between uh the president and the Russian president, Dimitri. 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 Yeah, I didn't mind it too, so much so that it's my Excellent. See, I think what this film does with its humor overall, when it works, it works, is creating comedy pieces that are centering around like mundane things going on around these very serious issues. And it happens again later on with Mandrake. But this this conversation with the president and Dimitri, they're talking about how they, they're about to get bombed. They're like, they're going to lose 20-odd million, 100, 150 million lives. And they're just talking like it's a casual conversation. Like, oh, I'm doing well. Like, yeah, I was going to call you. No, no, no I was going to call you. Don't worry. And, uh, well, how do you think I feel, Dimitri? All yeah. right, just calm down. Well, yeah. how do you think I feel? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, the, the the humor in this scene, I thought, was pretty on point. Like, it's talking about such a serious matter, but it's done in just such this, like, slapsticky, you know, dumbass kind of way that I really enjoyed it. He went and did a silly thing. Well, I'll tell you what he did. He ordered his planes to attack your country. Uh, Well, let me finish, Dimitri. Let me finish, Dimitri. Well, listen, how do you think I feel about it? Can you imagine how I feel about it, Dimitri? Why do you think I'm calling you? Just to say hello? Of course it's a friendly call. If it wasn't a friendly call, you probably wouldn't have got it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, talking about how equally, I'm equally as sorry as you. Now, don't you be sorry. I'm equally as sorry. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, how did you go uh, picking your excellent for this film? Uh, I had this and a potential one later on in the film, and I went back to this. I wrote one possible excellent, and I hope it's it's okay, because I have no recollection of what I've written down as my possible excellent. <laughs> wow, you watched it, like, what did you watch it yesterday? Yeah, it blends together. <sighs> there's not a lot that stands out in this film, Hendo. No, I agree, I agree. There's not, there's not a massive standout scene in this film. In fact, I would say, I've only written 11 pages of notes. Uh, that would have to be my lowest for a really? main breakdown, yeah. Well, this is uh, an hour and a half film. It is a short film, yes. Yes. So clearly Ripper has gone insane when he's talking to Mandrake about the Russians and what they've done to him, poisoning him and making him uh, impotent, essentially. Does he use the word impotent? He said he couldn't perform sexually with his partner. And that's when he thought that it was the Russians taking over the water supply. That's why he keeps talking there throughout this film, like, we've got to protect our, you know, our bodily fluids and our functions. 
Okay. So this is obviously another not subtle sexual reference. Yes. Yes, Still it is. Still waiting for all these very subtle ones that you've mentioned, other than the erect and firm cigar. I mean, is that not enough? I mean, it's enough for me, Hendo. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> But, of course, the army shows up at Rip, uh, Ripper's uh, base and, yep, they're shooting at each other. I like that he pulls the gun out of his golf bag. Yes. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you must have got excited when you saw a golf bag. Like, oh, you're going to tee off here? Yeah, yeah. That is where I store my clubs usually, Hendo. <laughs> where do you store your balls? <laughs> On the mantelpiece? <laughs> Ask the missus. <laughs> <laughs> So they got to make the uh, they got to make the threat a, a lot more serious here when they talk about this doomsday device. Yeah, and we get Doctor Strangelove finally. Doctor Strangelove, what a in- interesting, somewhat character that's this- only in it for maybe two scenes. Yeah, yeah, this wasn't bad. Uh, he's weird, but I like his sort of revelation at the end where he's just like the whole point of a. Oh, I can't even do it. I can't do his accent. But <laughs> is that the whole point of the doomsday machine? Is lost. If you keep it a secret, why didn't you tell the world, eh? <laughs> and then the whole, oh, we were about to announce it on Monday. The the premier, like, the premier loves surprises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad timing, bad timing. Did you happen to see the sign that was on uh, behind a lot of the the army base areas, especially during the the like the, the gunshot the gunshots going off? Refresh my memory. Peace is our profession. Yes, I did. Very good. It's pretty funny. Not really. I laughed. No, you did not. I laughed. When it's cutting back and forth between the army shooting at each other, and then there's one shot where this guy's like unloading a machine gun, and right behind him is, is a piece of our profession. Oh, because they're not being peaceful in that moment. Wow. I get it now. Wow. I would have laughed really hard if I'd gotten that real subtle joke there, Hendo. I mean, I had a chuckle. I, I don't believe you. But we get a... Uh... Ripper's death scene here, I guess. And this is my... Excellent! All right. Apparently. <laughs> this wasn't my other one in contention. Okay. Nah, I, I liked it. Uh, probably because I was so surprised that he actually killed himself. That is when did su- you start to suspect that he would have killed himself? That he was going to kill himself? Uh, when I heard the gunshot. Really? Yeah. Wow, I picked up on it when he started saying, like, I, I wouldn't do well under torture. He's like, they're going to come in here in it, and I, I, can't, I can't do torture. I'm like, ah, oh, he's going to kill himself. I know, it just seemed like such a, I don't know, like, just not someone who I would pick as offing themselves in a movie. And, yeah, took me by surprise. I enjoyed it. And then I like the sort of closer on it where, because you think, because as soon as it happens, you'll, you immediately think, oh, my God, there's no way they can get this three-letter code to actually yeah, exactly. recall the planes. And then he goes over and he sees all the crosswords with the, what is it, P-O-E? Yeah. Peace on what Earth. Was, peace on Earth. And what was the other one that he had? Prisoner of what? Essence? That's right. No, Mandrake, he's smart like that. Yeah, so that was good. But our let's go back to our plane that's up in the air, gets attacked by a missile, really wrecks a bunch of stuff, including the telecommunications, so they can't hear anything from anyone anymore. I mean, I thought this was bullshit. There's no way they, that if they're hit by a missile, there would just be some smoke and they can still fly. I mean, aren't they gradually like going down? Yeah, they've lost some fuel or they're losing fuel. But this is a missile. I don't think it's it just you know dings a hole in your fuel tank, Hendo. I don't know. I'm not someone who's been in a military plane before in the 60s. Don't you go and start accusing them of bullshit. I mean, I'll do what I want, Hendo. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I will accuse them of bullshit. <laughs> what did you make of the the old school 60s special effects here with the plane? Honestly, I didn't mind them. They were fine. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was fine. It's, it's a, it's a it's product the of its 60s. time. It's the 60s. What do you expect? Yeah, exactly. We get this other random general who shows up to take Mandrake in. Do you reckon he looks like Sean Penn? No. Well, I do, Hendo. And it took me ages to took me ages to work out who I thought he looked like as well. And you came to the wrong conclusion. And then I realized, and I was like, yeah, I guess it kind of looks like Sean Penn. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very uh, very confident right there. Yeah. This guy's not bad. Uh <laughs> Yeah, he thinks he's organising a mutiny of perverts. <laughs> what does he say? Preverts? <laughs> this is the other scene I was talking about in regards to serious matters uh, played for a comedic effect where you've got Mandrake who's trying to call the president and they're talking about collect call and he hasn't got the right change and he's, you know, can you just put it, put it through to the president on a collect call and they're like, oh, they won't let me do that. All right, go uh, to that other general guy. Why don't you get some change out of that Coke machine? He's like, I'm not destroying a Coke machine. 
Did you laugh at any of this? Oh, this was okay. This was as slapsticky yeah. as it got, though, when he shoots it, bends down to get the change, and like soda at the perfect yeah. time comes out and hits him in the face. I was like, oh, wow. That is the only time in this film where it's one of those, like, the whistle by that. Yeah. He definitely needed that Coke, though, because he, the humor had been so dry in this film. Yeah, but what do we have next? Uh, the planes. Wow, that didn't hit, that didn't hit with you at all. <laughs> it was just as bad as one of these jokes. <laughs> I mean, do you do you do you really need me to tell you that wasn't funny? Yes, please do. Don't just ignore me I and move on. I thought it would be more polite to just ignore and move past that as quickly as possible. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do we got? We got kiss off. He's not happy. And we got Dimitri on the phone to the president again. And the president's got another good line here. Dimitri, there's no point in you getting hysterical at a moment like this. And he's hysterical being the joke. Yes. Yep. Yes, of course. So what have they said here? They've, they've basically got nearly all the planes to come back, except for a couple which they've shot down, except yep. for this other one. Except which for is still this going. one. Yeah, there's yeah. one plane left. And they can't find them now because they've actually changed their, uh, their target. Because they know they're not, they know they're not going to make it to their uh, the original one, so they've uh, decided to pick another one and just go for it. I found Turgeson pretty, or Gen- the General T. I found him pretty funny here when he's getting really excited about what's going to happen with this plane. And they're flying down. It's like, yeah, they're going to bomb. Them. Yeah, they're going to do it. And then he realizes exactly what's going on, and he shuts his trap pretty quickly. Yeah, I got to say, I thought I thought George C. Scott was pretty good as General Turgeson. I thought he was uh, slapsticky in the right places. He's definitely a goofy character, and I think he plays well with the straight man Peter Sellers. Yeah, he was fine. He was fine. Do you know George C. Scott from anything else? Oh, not off the top of my head. What's he in? Pretty sure he's in Patton. You heard of that? That other war film? I think that I think that may have won Best Picture. Patton. Uh, a Salute to a Rebel, that one? No, it's just called Patton. Okay. Sorry, the one, the, Patton, the Salute to a Rebel, uh, is the one that won Best Picture. Okay. Like in the 60s? Uh, 1971, 70s, yeah. You're way yeah. off. Yeah, that'd be yep. the one. Right. Yep. George C. Scott actually won Best Actor for it. There you go. And I know he also played the angry, angry juror in Twelve Angry Men on, the, on that uh, that remake one with uh, Jack Lemmon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was juror number three. That's right. You got no fucking idea. What? It's juror number three. I remember it well. Do you now? Yeah, of course. We're pretty much into the uh, the last little bit of the act here, where the plane is getting closer and closer, and of course the the bomb door won't open. So you got Kong coming down here to try and get that door open. Sitting on the nuke like an idiot. I mean, is he? I mean, he didn't mean to do this and he just embraces it when it happens. But I mean, the other passengers of the plane are going to die. Yeah, I mean, that I mean that is exactly what I wrote down. As soon as the bomb went off, I'm like, okay, so that plane went off too. Because James Earl Jones is here and this is where he's he's going through the, the voiceover bits. And then... When the, the nuke goes off, well, when the nuke drops, he's like, are we worried about Kong? It's like, why are you worried about anything? The nuke's just going to blow up and kill you. Yeah. I mean, if this all went exactly to plan, is that plane meant to be like much, much higher up? I reckon that probably was the case. But yeah, no, nah, everyone in the plane dies immediately. What do you what do you make of the riding the bomb? Where do you know that from? I don't know. Simpsons, is it? It is Simpsons. It's definitely Simpsons. Yeah, I've seen that shot like from this though before. Oh, it's, it's a great shot. I love it. Eh, it's fine. <sighs> Too dry for you? Sorry, I don't mean to yawn mid-podcast, but I was just remembering Dr. Strangelove. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this whole discussion at the end here, I thought, was pretty damn good. Really? Strangelove's starting to talk immediately about, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, we're going to get the bunkers going. We're going to get the world's most intelligent people. All that. We're going to get them all down there. We'll start civilization, like, you know, 100 years or so. And... It, it really feels like no one's really keen on this idea at the start. But when he starts mentioning, and we'll have you know, 10 women to, you know, to every man, they're all just like, ooh, ooh. And you see, like, Turgis and like, ooh, interesting. Perks his head up. He's like, now there wouldn't have to be any sort of, uh, you know, monogamy here, would there? It'd be just free. And <laughs> No, the men, would, the men would have to sacrifice the monogamous relationships yeah, they have. It is a sacrifice they would have to take. <laughs> and then the Russian guy's like, I like this idea. <laughs> <laughs> This is all funny. And it, you talk about the, well, we've been talking about these, you know, subtle sexual innuendos and that. Very subtle. This whole thing with strange love and him going through this, this is, oh, first off, it was so funny when he called the, when he uh, called the president Monfuhr, like he's, because he's supposed to be this German uh, scientist guy who they've pulled over from yeah. the war and he's still just got that in his mind. And he's like doing the hail as well, like with his hand, like he's trying to force it to not happen. Yeah, he's got it's alien sort of, hand syndrome. 
Yeah, but there's also, from what I saw, why are you laughing? Is this something like, you just made up? You're just like, yeah, of course, alien hand syndrome. Yeah. Naturally. Well, you did it to me before with my stupid joke. Like, move on. I mean, that's what it's called. But this is also one of those little, either subtle or not so subtle, digs at sexual innuendo or, you know, libido and all that sort of stuff here. Like, he's getting pleasure from this. And there are certain shots that you see where he's moving, he's trying to force his hand to stay down. And it looks like he's, you know, jerking himself off. Okay. I, I didn't get the jerk off uh, motions. But, you know, then again, I wasn't looking for it. So, I guess that's... I mean, I wasn't either. All of this went over my head. Oh, good. This is through my good. research that I saw afterwards. I'm glad. I'd be concerned otherwise. <laughs> and I found it so funny that even after, like, talking about the, the, the near future of, you know, all the gas taking over everyone and, and bunkering down, even, after, even that, after 100 years of talking about it, when they get out of the bunkers, they'll be like... They're talking about the Russians. Oh, when we get out, the Russians are going to have a, an advantage over us. We've got to start looking at these, you know, these bunkers. We've got to take them over. Like it's a hundred years in the future. They're not even going to be alive anymore. And the, and even the even the Russian guy, he pulls out his little camera, starts taking pictures of the shit. <laughs> like none of this means anything. None of this means nothing to them anymore. Yet it's oh, still all about I, power. I can't believe how passionate you are about this. I thought it was hilarious. I thought this was a great ending. Like it, it doesn't even matter. Like the end of the world is near. And they're still talking about, like, they got this idea of, yeah, let's go into bunkers. Yeah, that might work. But once the idea of sexual uh, ideas come into it, they're all perked up. Oh, this is a great idea. Let's get involved in this. And yet even after that, they're still talking about how they can take the power and the control off the Russians in a hundred years' time. It's ridiculous. This isn't even your excellent. No, this wasn't even my other option of excellent. Wow, I'm, I'm, con- I'm concerned how high you're, you're about to rate this, Hendo. <laughs> What did you make of Strange Love getting up and walking? <laughs> Literally nothing. What did you make of it? I didn't understand it at first. I was like, "Is this how? It, is this? Is this how it ends? Like, is this? Is this? He always knew he could walk, and then he decided to get up and completely forgot that he was supposed to be in a wheelchair, or did he actually just decide that he could walk? Are you asking me? Yeah. What do you think? I think he forgot he couldn't walk. Like, so you think that he? He knew he knew he could walk the whole time, and as he got up, he realized that everyone didn't realize that he could walk. Like he was trying, he was covering the fact that he could walk by sitting in a wheelchair. Yes, but now that he's got to go down into the mines and impregnate all these beautiful women, he's decided, mm-hmm. oh, wait on, my legs can move again. Exactly, he wants to be part of this uh, this crew of politicians, and it ends with the nuclear bombs going off. Looks like it's the end of the world as we know it with Doctor Strangelove. Ah, uh, poignant. Any last words? All right, I'll do my final thoughts here. I went and looked at my letterbox of this film. Let me guess, four and a half. <laughs> and I, it was one of those films that I logged way back in the day when I got back when I got onto the site for the first time, and I had it at a brisk four stars. Shocker! A critically yeah. acclaimed old film that you've rated highly. It's not a four star film. Let's just put that out there. Whoa! <laughs> no! Stop it, Hendo. What about those sexual innuendos, though? The sexual innuendos didn't even play a part in this film for me. That's a, that is an afterthought of you know some you know critical analysis that I saw. I'm like, that's an interesting observation. It's got nothing. It plays no part in my ideas or reviews of the film. And yet, it dominated the discussion. <laughs> it was an interesting discussion. Look, I think the story overall is is a good one. I like how it is shown, and I like the the progression of one man who basically takes it upon himself to commit this war or this treason or whatever purely for his insane reasons which don't make any sense to anyone else the characters in this film are quite memorable peter sellers and his three roles are very good i like george c scott in his role as general turgeson here he plays quite well off uh president peter sellers we'll just go with that the humor while dry in a lot of places and a lot of places where i didn't even realize there was supposed to be humor if there is humor to be shown there. Several points, I was laughing, I was chuckling, I did get the joke. It was entertaining. The first third of this film is definitely a slog to push through. It takes way too long to get the plot going, get everyone into the idea of what is actually happening in this film. But once the last two thirds of this film hit, I was very very entertained. I really enjoyed it. But there are some things missing, so I'm going to give it three stars. That's not bad from you. Not Oh, thank you. Bad I, at all. I appreciate that. That's all you know, I was looking for. You know, sometimes I go into these podcasts and I have an initial rating that I think I'm going to give it and then the discussion changes my rating. Well, it's funny because I had an initial rating I was going to give it but I actually went in thinking, gee, I'm probably going to shit all over this for the next hour and I'll drop it by <laughs> half a star. I'm actually not going to drop it though. Uh, my initial it's going to rat- stay at one star. <laughs> my initial rating on Letterboxd was two stars. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I do tend to agree with a lot of what you actually said, though. I think that the story is not bad. As a story plot point, it's not bad. But you say just the first third. I would say most of this film has pacing issues. There's two, there's, I cannot ignore the massive amount of failed jokes for me. And that might just that's not that might not be a you know a complaint on the film. Maybe that's me, Hendo. Maybe that's my fault. It is you. Okay. But it's my rating. So fuck yous. I, I'm keeping it <laughs> I'm keeping it at two stars. That's fine. I'm not gonna def- I'm not gonna judge you about this at all. You seem very defensive, Dean. When have you ever got defensive for your ratings? Uh never. I'm not defensive of it. I'm just it's I mean it's it's comedy, you know? Like it's a comedy. If it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work for me. Even though you were side splitting laughing at the lights on the board. Come on, Dean. No, it's, it's you should say even though you were side splitting laughing talking about it. Yeah, it's funnier to talk about than it is <laughs> to actually watch it and be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> now, nah, fair enough. I I kind of figured that would be roughly around what you rated it. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where's it going to sit on your rankings? All right, let's go right to the bottom again in honor of Citizen Kane. Uh, my current last place is Seven Seal. It's better than Seven Seal. It's obviously better than Ben Hur. Then it comes up against Rashomon. I do think it's better than Rashomon as well. And then it hits Citizen Kane, which I think has some elements that is better than this film. So I'm going to have it at my new number 79 out of 82. Very good. All right, let's start. Pretty pretty low at the bottom here. I'm going to put it up against A Beautiful Mind at number 77. And I think this is better than A Beautiful Mind. We hit Sherlock Jr. And I think it's better than Sherlock Jr. It's also better than Infernal Affairs, but it's not as good as Howl's Moving Castle. So I'm going to put Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb at number 75 out of 82 films. 82 films, Dean. We're getting to that uh, that number 100 pretty quickly. We should celebrate and do a special film. What would you like to do? I know, I know what you're thinking. What class, like, what would classify as a special film? The Godfather. I think, and I know that you want to do it as well. I think maybe we should redo one of the films we've watched. What? I think it's time to redo Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> How is that not your number one film on here? For fuck's sake. <laughs> it's funny, I was actually going to say maybe we should do the 100th ranked film on IMDb, but uh, we've already done it. Do you know what it is? It's a Toy Story 3? Nah, it's Singing in the Rain. Ah, okay. We can do we can redo that if you want. No. <laughs> well, Toy Story 3 is not even close to number 100, by the way. You're way All off. Alright, well what do you want for There's fucking 250 films on there, Jesus Christ. But you said it with such conviction. No, I took a stab. Stab was wrong. I mean, it was very wrong. You wouldn't have got anywhere near it. I can't even. You would have picked something that wasn't even on the list. (laughs) I would have picked La La Land. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we continue, we'd just like to say that this show is brought to you by our awesome patrons who've been supporting the show for over two and a half years now. Dean, I I cannot stop saying thank you to these patrons for their awesome patronage. They continue to do so much every month. And we love them for it. Absolutely. They're, they're a great bunch of people and we're forever grateful. Did you just say absolutely? Yes. <laughs> I haven't heard you say that for a while, Dean. It's uh, nostalgic. Ah, fair enough. Absolutely. Oh, boy. There's two, for, there's two for the price of one. Now, we are in the middle of our Batman video series. Still still working on these videos. Uh, been a bit of fun already. Uh, we're about to hit Batman and Robin on the IMDb bottom 100 list. Shockingly. I mean, obviously, it's only shocking because it doesn't deserve to be there. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. I stole your line. I, sh- I shouldn't do that. I apologize. Can you at least try to say it right? Absolutely. That wasn't bad. So if you're interested in checking that out, we have varying rewards and benefits for as little as a dollar a month. Just head over to patreon.com slash the movie journey. After all this time, I finally found where Toy Story 3 was. 111. (laughs) Pretty fucking close. Come on. (laughs) It is really close. I don't know why I didn't see it before. I went from like 60 to 140 and didn't see it. And I was like, ah, you're way off. (laughs) It's good to get some recognition there. All right, mate, let's get to... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh. Well, we ask our awesome patrons to send in reviews for the films that we watch. All right. First one here from Julio at The Contrarians. I only seen this one once, long ago. I remember liking it despite being exhausted. Peter Sellers is great, and so is whoever plays the pilot. But I really need to rewatch it before I can give it proper judgment. All right, Julio, we look forward to hearing what you think of it after you watch it. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for putting in response. But of course, we've got. 
Alright, Dr. Strangelove. Ugh. Or some pretentious subtitle that I'm not going to bother to remember or read. Of course, I had to bring up the uh, Dr. Strangelove letterbox page. You know, I had to figure out what I'm supposed to be titling this review. And as I was, you know, reading that really, really long subtitle it has, it was just so funny that I forgot every word of it. But anyway, that um that brings me to um the funniest part about Dr. Strangelove's letterbox page, which of course is all the four and five star reviews. What is going on there? One review begins, this film is just one big punchline. And, I mean, seriously, I kind of feel the same way about the letterbox page. Anyway, did anyone actually find this film funny, like, for real? Like, you know, is it, it? do people actually think this is a comedy? Because I could not observe any attempts at humour in this film. Unless, you know, unless, of course, you, you're talking about Dr. Strangelove in the chair who speaks a bit silly. But, um, you know, that's, that's the sort of joke that, you know, Dr. Strangelove would make. And then everybody else in the room would be completely silent, not laughing. And one person raised their hand, was that supposed to be a joke? And Dr. Strangelove would be like, no, 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 I, I actually talk like this for real. I was being serious. You know, and um, so that's pretty much what I think of the humor in this film. You know, the people that like this for humor, they're probably the same people that like, like, Spaceballs as a, as a comedy. Or, or um, what was that awful movie with um, starring Tim Allen in space? That was an awful movie that everybody loved. Galaxy Quest. Oh, awful movie. Remind, remind, the fan base for this movie reminds me of the fan base for those movies. Horrible. Anyway, the plot of this movie is just believable enough that if it weren't for the disclaimer at the beginning of the film, you know, all the campy overacting, you might actually mistake it for a true story. You know, it could actually happen. I could buy it. You know, I think it, I think that's to do with the 60s as well, that, that mundane sort of black and white boringness. And, and yes, the, my experience of this film was a relentlessly boring one. There were a few select scenes where things were coherent and I wasn't looking at the time, but uh, for most part, this film was basically gibberish to me. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't care. Approaching the hour mark of this movie, I had the the first temptation in a while to actually turn the movie off. Like, I actually had the thought... I mean, I watch every movie to the end, no matter if it's a half-star movie or what. I watch every movie to the end. But I was an hour into this film, and it's only 90 minutes long, and my, and my brain went, can we please turn this off? I fucking hate this. And that's basically how I feel about the film. Yeah, so that this film was horrendous. It's awful. It's boring. It's so boring. I hated it. Um, one star. Sorry, guys. Over to you. No, don't be sorry, Shane. That's your opinion. Classic Shane review. I mean, I, I'm probably closer to his opinion than your opinion, Hendo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you are brothers, so I don't blame you. Nah, thanks a lot, Shane, for that review of Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. You mean the gibberish, Hendo. Yes. All right, mate, let's get to... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we ask, what is your favourite film with multiple performances by the same actor? All right, let's take a look on our Facebook listener discussion group and our patrons to see what they have to say here. We also asked them what their worst was as well, so got a couple of interesting answers here. First one here from Nerd Revert. Worst is easily Sandler in Jack and Jill. Best is a tougher one. Legend, prestige, face-off, if that counts. I think it counts. Do you think it counts, Dean? No. Why? Because it's the same... Is it? Think uh, about it. Um, I mean, I guess... There you go. See, I didn't think of it initially. Nerd Revert got me onto that one. That's a that's a good a good call. Good call for face off there, Nerd Revert. But his favourite, he'll have to go with Enemy for Jake Gyllenhaal. From David Powell, worst has got to be an Eddie Murphy one. Probably Clumps. Not that I've seen it. <laughs> I just assume <laughs> it's worse than Nutty Professor, which is dog shit. Hey, the Nutty Professor was good. Yeah, I remember. I have some fond memories of that film. Best, in terms of the quality of the performances, rather than the movie overall, has to be Luca Guadad... Guadad... Nino's Guadagnino's Guadagnino's Guadag I assume the G is silent Guadagnino's Luca Guadagnino Luca Guadagnino Yes Has to be Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria remake Tilda is so goddamn awesome I didn't even pick the third role she plays until I read about it later and then there's a picture of an old man for some reason Because that's Tilda Swinton Yeah, yeah, no I I got it, Hendo Thanks for clarifying Do you know who Luca Guadagnino is? Uh, No, I don't Wow, wow (laughs) He... (laughs) He directed Call Me By Your Name. Ah, good film. I hear they're making a Call Me By Your Name 2. Is Army Hammer playing a vampire? Yes. Yes. <laughs> there's more uh, There's more drinking. 
Brian Grabianowski says, Prestige is probably the best, but personally, I'd have to go with Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying, I love the bomb. Scott Murphy says, The best is Alec Guinness in Kind Hearts and Caronettes, which is a true acting masterclass and is the chief joy in a stone-cold British comedy classic. Have you heard of this? Yeah, it was in the top 250 when I was doing the top 250 run-through. I've seen it. It's pretty good. Huh. Worst. As a big Eddie Murphy fan, well, mostly his 80s stuff, it saddens me to say Eddie Murphy in Norbert, which is just god-awful. On the flip side, his multiple character performances in Coming to America is up there with the best. In the same vein here, Chris of the Rough House podcast says, anyone who doesn't say Coming to America is, one, lying to themselves, and two, dead wrong. Worst is probably Julia Roberts for playing Tessa and herself in Ocean's 12. I hated that bit. That's a fair call. Uh, Brad Hargis says, I have to go Nick Cage in Adaptation or James McAvoy in Split. Does that count? I mean, he's playing different personalities. He's playing different characters, isn't he? But he's still the same person. Oh, I would count it. He's doing multiple He's doing multiple performances. Hmm. Although he isn't physically different characters, he plays the personalities to perfection. Okay. Worst, Nutty Professor 2 or even Austin Powers 3. Sequels that didn't need to be made and were awful all around. Can't disagree with you there. Gold member's terrible. Julio the Contrarian says, Coming to America is one that comes to mind first, but just for funsies, how about throwing some love to Murphy's The Nutty Professor? There you go. There's some positivity for The Nutty Professor. Hmm. And lastly here, Chris Beardsall says, The best is The Prestige, and the worst is Jack and Jill. Now, thank you very much, everyone, for putting in a response. But, Dean, let's get to our top five films with multiple performances by the same actor. And as usual, we'll kick it off with you. What is your number five? All right, my number five is Austin Powers. Two, The Spy Who Shagged Me. The Spy Who Shagged Me. Very good. My number five is a sequel to one of the best films of all time. It is Back to the Future 2. Yeah, close. Close to my list. Honourable mention. Cool. Uh, My number four, The Social Network. Very good pick, as it is also my number four. Uh, My number three, Adaptation. Adaptation. Just missed my list. Ah. Yeah, because my number three is Mr. Eddie Murphy in Coming to America. Yeah, I'm not a big Coming to America fan. Oh, it's a great film. Great film. Uh, my number two, There Will Be Blood. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter, wow. Hendo? I <laughs> uh, completely forgot about Paul Dano as the multiple. Yep, oh, as Jesus. Paul All right. and Eli Sunday. Jesus, that took me a while. I was thinking, who the fuck plays multiple performances in that? All right. We're doing a bit of a quick one on the fly here. <laughs> We're going to be pulling all of my lists down. <laughs> So let's put in number three as Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And let's uh, ring up number two here for The Prestige. Okay, very good. Uh, so we're at my number one? Yeah, have I missed something as well? Nah, my number one is Hamilton. Nah, okay, that's not on my list. That's that's ridiculous. What do you mean that's ridiculous? Yeah, all right, okay. You got like, Lafayette, Lafayette, Lafayette yeah, all right. and Simply Must Be Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas right, Jefferson's right. coming home. I mean, but, um, but what about what about you know his son as well? My son. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's multiple actors playing multiple performances. There's in that film. heaps right. of them. Very good, very good. Still wouldn't have made my list, but my number one. You've already mentioned it. It is there. Will be blood. Oh, Man. good number one pick, Hendo. Good number one. Jesus, pick. Paul Dano. Fuck you, Paul Dano. <laughs> But I'm assuming you only thought of There Will Be Blood very recently because uh, let's get to DVD Challenge. Let the games begin. Challenge accepted. Where we did our little mini movie draft on this uh, theme here because uh, There Will Be Blood wasn't picked. No, and I didn't think of it recently. I had all these films. I just didn't feel like it was, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't feel right. So why don't you tell everyone, you went first. What did you take, Endo? I did go with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, and I spent ages, like over 24 hours, I think, trying to work out what my middle two picks were going to be here. At one point, I was about to pick the Prestige and the Social Network, but I went, I, I sort of thought, yeah, like, yes, technically it's true, but I just went with more, uh, I guess, comedic films. So I went Austin Powers 2 and Coming to America. Yes, and I quickly snatched up the Social Network after that. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine. You destroyed me. It's not so much destroyed you. It's just this is the first time in our little mini drafts here where one pick just got absolutely trounced. Yeah. Like every other one has generally been pretty even, but Spy Who Shagged Me just just let you down so badly here. Six percent, like that was that was the killer. Awful. Didn't even matter about the rest of it. Awful. Them. Yeah. And coming to America did good. It came second with thirty percent. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. But Holy Grail and Social Network did come together for a sixty-four percent victory for me. 
So that's one point to me in our round three here, seeing who's going to get the next movie. Neither of us have still watched any of these movies yet, so we'll, we will get to them. We'll get there. What? what have, oh, yeah. I've got I Saw the Devil in Chunking Express, and you've got... Yeah, and I've got Cats and Captain Phillips. Okay. Yeah. We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, we forgot to do it last week, but let's take a look at our Pod v Pod 45 results between us and Paul at the Countdown and Movie and TV Reviews podcast in our blind movie draft on Leonardo DiCaprio films. Now, we did uh, put in a little stipulation on that episode that we weren't going into this uh, Pod v Pod draft on a one-to-tie lead. It was actually a one-all uh, tie at this point uh, after my little blunder with the bloody exorcist question. I'll learn to do my research a bit better. I doubt it. Yeah, probably. Oh, you watch. Next Poppy Pie will definitely be another mistake. You watch. But of course, Paul was team one, and he had Inception, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Catch Me If You Can, Shutter Island, and Titanic. And we were team two, and we had The Departed, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Revenant, Django Unchained, and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And I think uh, we felt pretty confident going into this, thinking that uh, if uh, worst case scenario, we could end this in a tie. That's fine. That's fine. We can we can end up in a tie. That's all right. No big deal. But uh, halfway through it, we realized that it was actually a tie already. And yeah, the results are pretty bad for us. 149 votes later, Paul wins 56% of the vote. Well done, mate. You do win Pod v Pod 45. Yes. Uh, it's amazing what not having Wayne there can do for you. Pretty much. So, what's next? All right, Dean, it is random number generator time to find out what movie we're going to be watching next week. Why don't you spin that number and we'll see what we're doing. All right, here we go. One to 250 and generate. Here we go. 227. Uh, It is The Passion of the Joan of Arc. 1928. Oh, God. Oh, my God. This is a very old film. (laughs) All right, that's what we're doing for next week. Thank you very much, everyone, for checking it out. And we will see you next week for The Passion of Joan of Arc. Bye.